Welcome to the War in Ukraine update from Kyiv podcast. I'm Jessica Ganawa, a lecturer in international relations at Flinders University in Australia, and I'm talking today with Stefan Fruling. Stefan is a professor at the Strategic and Defence Studies Centre at the Australian National University. Stefan focuses in his research and analysis on Australian defence policy, defence planning and strategy, nuclear weapons and NATO. Stefan also recently released an edited volume together with his co-editor Andrew O'Neill on these issues called Alliances, Nuclear Weapons and Escalation, Managing Deterrence in the 21st Century. I'll put a link in the show notes to where listeners can find out more about that work. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today, Stefan. Thank you. As someone who has been following nuclear deterrence and strategy for some time. Were you surprised that we seem to be finding ourselves in the 21st century in a situation where we're talking about the real possibility of the potential use of nuclear weapons within the framework of a hot military conflict? No, I don't think so, because ultimately, I mean, all nuclear powers maintain nuclear weapons because they see them actually as being useful to address real security concerns that they hold. If they didn't think that they were useful, they they probably wouldn't have acquired them in the first place. And I think it's also fair to say that there is greater attention and greater prominence to the role of nuclear weapons in managing great power, competition and, and conflict really has been on the minds of policymakers for the last maybe 10 years or so. I mean, certainly since the Russian invasion of Ukraine that I guess started back in 2014, that's a very real concern for the US and its European allies. On the day that Russia invaded Ukraine back in 2014, this very same day, they also held the largest snap exercise of Russia's strategic nuclear forces since the end of the Cold War. That was not an accident. They they did very deliberately already back in 2014 sent, sent quite explicit nuclear signals trying to deter Western intervention. Any kind of crisis with a nuclear power will have a nuclear shadow hanging over it that both sides will ultimately try to manipulate to their gain. Mm-hmm. Do you evaluate that there is a real possibility that Putin might use some type of nuclear weapon and not just use that as a threat in order to achieve political interests or whatever it might be as part of this war? I think that there is a real possibility that he may use a nuclear weapon, but I think that the logic of any such use is likely still to remain political in the sense that he will want to use nuclear threats ultimately to deter the West or coerce the West to stop its support for Ukraine. The likelihood that he would look to nuclear weapons to impose victory on the battlefield in Ukraine directly in terms of dropping nuclear weapons on on Ukrainian forces and thereby destroying their ability to fight, I think that's less likely, primarily because nuclear weapons actually aren't really that useful to do that, Um, in particular on a battlefield such as Ukraine, where you have hugely dispersed forces. I mean, even during the Cold War, you assume that you had to use several tactical nuclear weapons to destroy even a battalion. And I mean, these days with even greater dispersal of forces, you might kill a company or something like that. That's not really going to shift the overall military balance. What would shift the overall balance is if Russia managed to use nuclear coercion to stop the West from supplying weapons to Ukraine or to put political pressures on Ukraine to kind of accept Russia's territorial gains. And so it's it's that logic of 
creating fear in the West that's driving Russia's like nuclear communication at the moment. And that would also drive, I think, Russian nuclear use. And so that if it came to that, you'd probably see long announcements and, and a buildup of communication around this. You'd probably see something like a nuclear test with Russia resuming nuclear testing, perhaps as a first step. You might see Russia detonating a nuclear weapon, say, over the Baltic Sea or the Black Sea in, a, in an area that clearly isn't designed to actually kill and harm, but ultimately to send a signal. And, and rather than jumping into massive use of nuclear weapons in the way that like, we think often about what nuclear warfare might look like. Mm-hmm. I guess that raises the question for me, is there really a logic in that? I mean, you talked about maybe Putin using nuclear weapons to compel the West to stop supporting Ukraine with weapons. But it seems to me like, first of all, Ukrainians that I've spoken to have said, even if Putin were to use nuclear weapons, that's not going to stop us fighting. And secondly, it seems that there would have to be some quite strong response from NATO member countries, given that this would be the first time a nuclear weapon has been used since World War II. So it seems to me that if Putin were to use some kind of tactical nuclear weapon, it might actually increase the way in which NATO member countries are involved in this war rather than decreasing it. I certainly hope that that would be the case, but we don't know what ultimately what Russia's calculations on this are. I mean, Russia has been using threats of nuclear use for a number of years now, trying to coerce NATO and NATO members both against Denmark, when Denmark, for example, integrated with NATO missile defense, they very openly threatened Sweden with nuclear use a few years ago, flying nuclear attack profiles against the Swedish naval headquarters. So Russia has been increasingly using or has been regularly using quite open nuclear threats in an attempt to pressure Western and NATO countries. It is quite remarkably unsuccessful in the overall scheme of things for a number of years, but it keeps doing this. My sense is that nuclear use, even like more open nuclear coercion, for example, or nuclear testing, would ultimately harden Western resolve. But ultimately, Putin also hasn't actually been that good at reading Western response in the conflict overall. So the question here is, if he really was better at reading Western response, he probably would have realized that the invasion would lead to, to much more significant support to Ukraine. On the other hand, most Westerners probably didn't quite expect that either. So I think the, the ability to forecast what happens in those kinds of situations in particular, if we actually saw an explosion of a nuclear weapon, we're really in uncharted territories. So it's a bit of a gamble, and we just don't know whether Putin is, is willing to take that gamble. I do take some kind of like reassurance from the fact that Putin still, despite kind of like being in a hole and keeping digging, does so in a fairly incremental manner. If you look at, for example, the decision to annex the, the occupied territories that came fairly late in the peace, although they've kind of like announced the annexation, they haven't actually defined the borders. So there's still a lot of room for maneuver there. The mobilization came late in the peace and arguably still, I mean, it's more of a hindrance than an asset. So I think that it's unlikely that he would jump into the strait. And there's, I mean, remembering that there's also steps in between. I mean, it's not just nuclear tests. He could be looking to chemical weapons use, for example. There's a lot of kind of steps that could be taken between now and using nuclear weapons, even just for a test. But it, obviously, the Russians have no interest in drawing attention to that. I mean, the, the, the Russian interest is in keeping that specter of nuclear nuclear conflict alive and trying to use that to politically wedge Western societies and governments. 
Mm-hmm. It's not really a possibility that any of us want to even contemplate because, as you said, it really takes us into uncharted territory. What do you think at this point is the best way for, for example, NATO member countries to effectively deter Putin from using a nuclear weapon? It is a tough problem. I do think that it's important to realize that ultimately the nuclear deterrence has held insofar as NATO and Russia itself are concerned. Deterrence, which is essentially trying to prevent something from happening by convincing the other side that you're willing to do something very horrible in, in return. The credibility of deterrence threats like that is not easily established. And it's, it's quite hard to extend that credibly outside the structure of long-standing and formalized alliances. So it's, it's a lot more credible that the, the Americans, Britain or France might use nuclear weapons in case of a major attack against their treaty allies than against Ukraine, which is not a treaty ally. So I think that nuclear deterrence holds. Russia is very careful not to attack, for example, the, the resupply bases in Poland. NATO is very careful not to become directly involved in, in the conflict. So I think that insofar as a Western response to nuclear use against Ukraine is concerned, I think NATO and and the West will be careful not to equate Russian use of nuclear weapons against Ukraine with nuclear use against one of or one of their allies. But at the same time, it's also not something that I think is easily just ignored or avoided. I think to not respond in a major way would just invite Putin in many ways to try again and to to escalate. It would also send the wrong signal to other countries. And I think that what the Western consensus, and certainly the consensus in Washington seems to be, is to fairly openly threaten the Russians with a conventional direct intervention in the conflict in Ukraine. And I think we've seen that in some of the statements by Secretary Blinken, for example, over the last few days, which seem to kind of like essentially, between the reading between the lines, fairly clearly state that Russia should expect or should have to think about Western air power intervention into the conflict in Ukraine directly which might mean U.S. Air Force and Navy and Allied Air Forces like attacking Russian with conventional weapons, attacking Russian forces in Ukraine itself. I don't think we would see attacks on Russia itself. I think that would be seen rightly so as unnecessary escalation. But certainly it is well within the ability of U.S. Air Force in particular to essentially destroy Russian forces in Ukraine in relatively short order. And so make sure that Russia certainly has no way of winning that conflict anymore should it go down that path. Whether that will be effective or not is something that we'll have to see. We can hope that that Putin kind of like realizes that. And, and as I said, he's been quite careful, I think, about not getting into a conflict directly with the West so far. I don't think that we would see NATO intervention directly. I think the, the logic of deterrence would kind of like argue much on also the political context would argue much more for keeping NATO itself focused on deterring attacks against NATO members. But I think an intervention by the US, by France and and Britain as the three Western nuclear powers in Ukraine is quite likely. And I think also in the overall scheme of things, probably the best of a lot of bad options of how to respond. 
Mm -hmm. And I can't imagine that Putin isn't aware of the capability of those powers if they were to choose to become involved in a more direct way. How do you evaluate also the position of non-Western nuclear-armed powers? So it's been quite important for Russia that a big country like China has not directly condemned the invasion. Do you think that that would shift if there became a more certain possibility that Putin was heading towards the use of a nuclear weapon or was to use some kind of nuclear weapon, would that change the calculus for a country like China that has its own interests in ensuring that that norm of the non-use of nuclear weapons is upheld? I think that it's true that China would have a lot to lose and essentially nothing from gain from, from Russia increasing the prominence of nuclear coercion in this in this conflict. I'm not sure that it necessarily would lead China to kind of openly oppose Russia in the conflict, but ultimately it would not be in China's strategic interests for a number of reasons. I mean, one is Chinese, but also Indian, for example, nuclear posture ultimately relies on the assumption that countries are extremely risk averse, that the mere threat of nuclear use is sufficient to deter. And on the basis of that assumption, China and India have actually been quite comfortable with a much more inferior nuclear posture compared to the U.S., so if Russia's nuclear use kind of like demonstrates that you can use nuclear weapons in a limited way, that countries can exploit nuclear superiority, even if they're conventionally inferior, and fight limited nuclear war, that would in many ways threaten some quite fundamental assumptions on the basis of which India and China approach nuclear weapons. And I think would give them some pause, given that the US nuclear arsenal is far superior to the Chinese one. The second one is that Ultimately, China's position in effectiveness in changing the strategic order in Asia relies on its conventional superiority. Historically, the US and NATO have used nuclear weapons during the Cold War to counterbalance Soviet conventional superiority. That's not something that the US have been doing yet in Asia, although there's increasing calls in South Korea and Japan for, for example, bringing back US nuclear weapons. So I think that a more open nuclear conflict between the great powers in Europe could only increase government support for increasing the prominence of nuclear deterrence in Western defensive posture more generally. And China has nothing to gain from that if the US and its, its European and particularly Indo-Pacific allies start to look to nuclear weapons again to deal with great power conflicts. That would work quite against Chinese interests and against the relatively beneficial trends for China in terms of the overall balance of forces in the Indo-Pacific. So I think China's interests are all about keeping nuclear weapons locked up in a closet, if you like, using nuclear weapons purely so that nobody actually kind of gets them out. But any greater role and greater prominence for nuclear weapons, such as what inevitably, I think, follow, would not be in their interest. Mm -hmm. Being located in Australia myself and seeing a nuclear armed power engaging in such a direct violation of another state's sovereignty in you know, a full-scale invasion into their territory made me quite pleased that Australia does have a security alliance with the United States that's a nuclear armed power. I wonder whether you think that this war will change the calculus, especially for middle powers or small powers in terms of their alliances, in particular the importance of a security alliance with a state that does have nuclear weapons. Now, I think that is a is major kind of consideration, in particular for Indo-Pacific allies, as we look at the consequences of, of the war in Ukraine for our own security. 
And I think that the jury is a bit out on that because on the one hand, the US has been supporting Ukraine quite effectively so far, at least with conventional forces, even though Ukraine was not a formal treaty ally. And I guess in that sense, it has some parallels with Taiwan, for example. And even as it was attacked by a nuclear power who's, who's trying to use nuclear coercion. But on the other hand, there's also some limits to what the Americans have been willing to do. I mean, the, the Americans have been extremely careful about not even suggesting that they would be considering the use of U.S. forces in defense of Ukraine. And that's a very big difference to Taiwan. I mean, in, in Taiwan, the U.S. is trying to convince the Chinese that ultimately an, an attack on Taiwan would, would lead to a direct U.S. involvement, even though Taiwan is not a treaty ally. A lot of this will hinge on the perception on how people will see the role of nuclear weapons ultimately playing into this once it's all over. And when we're not anywhere near the end on this. It will, I think, no doubt, and it has already, I think, sharpened allies' kind of perception of the way that Washington and other allies perceive nuclear coercion and how they let that influence their behaviors in the crisis matters a lot for, for U.S. allies. But whether we'll take like reassurance from that or whether it'll leave us with concern, I think will, to a great extent, depend on the ultimate outcome of the conflict that, that we yet have to see. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Stefan. I appreciate you being on the podcast today and shedding light on these complex and somewhat uncomfortable issues. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And thanks to Gonka Varol for our theme music.